Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. And I'm Matt Rasnick. Today we are talking about how restaurants in the Charleston area are filling up with diners and seeing record sales while also confronting a staffing crisis. First, we'll hear from Post and Courier food critic Hannah Raskin about what challenges local restaurants are facing as demand rises. We'll also hear from the owner of Butcher and Bee, Michael Shimtov, about how he worked to get his employees, along with hundreds of other food and beverage workers, vaccinated. I'm Hannah Raskin. I'm the food editor and chief critic at The Post and Courier. Dining in at restaurants has been permitted in South Carolina since last May. Several months after that, in August, Hannah started a weekly column that has followed the progress of four Charleston area restaurants as they navigate everything that has come with operating a dining establishment in the middle of a global pandemic. There was obviously momentum picking up and we were moving toward a really wide scale reopening. So I was wanted to follow four restaurants that were taking different approaches, one of which still hadn't opened because it had planned to open right when the pandemic hit. So it's a new restaurant that was dealing with when and how to open, a restaurant that had closed and stayed closed, a restaurant that was trying to operate with a very different set of safety protocols than they had in place prior to the pandemic, and a restaurant that was acting like something, nothing, nothing ever happened. And so each week I have been checking in with them to see where are they? Are they open? Are customers back? Those restaurants were King Street Wine Bar Vintage Lounge, which is no longer part of the series since it's been operating as it normally would. Then there's Harold's Cabin in Charleston's West Side neighborhood, which has remained completely closed. Chasing Sage is a restaurant on Rutledge Avenue that was supposed to open for the first time right around when the pandemic hit. It's been running a series of takeout-only pop-ups as it prepares to officially open soon. And then there's Butcher and Bee, which has been open for dine-in service but has made a lot of changes to how it operates during COVID. Most recently, this weekly series about these restaurants' progress has included Butcher and Bee's efforts to get its staff vaccinated. It was really important to owner Michael Shemtov to make sure his staff had access to shots to protect them from COVID-19. But the process was a lot more complicated than he'd predicted. I always think about hospitality as beyond the four walls of the restaurant. So a lot of times at lineup with staff, I'm talking to them about just think about the guests beyond just their dinner. Like, it's awesome that you really want them to have a great dinner. But ask them what else they're doing this weekend. You know, ask them if they need help figuring out where to go tomorrow, what to do tomorrow, whatever. It doesn't stop when they pay the bill. You should care about people as a person. And so uh, my customers are really my staff. There was this great excitement and we put up information everywhere because a lot of people didn't know, you know, we we are in our uh, bubble uh, of reading news and consuming news and keeping up with the news. We were on it, but I'd say there was maybe 10 to 20 percent awareness amongst our staff when vaccines opened up that they were now eligible to get a vaccine. First, we just worked hard at getting the information out and said, hey, everybody, you're eligible. Like everybody that worked for us, that walked in the door, just like we take their temp. We now are asking them, do you know you're now eligible to get a vaccine? Have you tried to sign up for one? Like here's the table right next to the entry with a laptop open, like sign up. 
you no longer need to wait. It's your turn. It's your, like, you can now go get the shot. Like, go do it. You know, I'm half Israeli and that I have that as half Israeli, like drive and push and the half American politeness. So I don't want to cut my place in line, but I want to be at the very front of it, you know? And I thought, I don't want this disparity of outcome for people like me who just will hustle. Like I'll call every pharmacy. I'll call, I'll go to every website. I'll stay up. Somebody told me that appointments open up at midnight. So on a call with our leadership team, I said, like, let's have somebody who gets paid to stay up till midnight and like book our staff appointments at midnight. But there were a few issues with that idea, which their HR director pointed out. First, they weren't mandating vaccinations for their employees, so that proposal could have given the wrong impression. So we thought like, okay, well, one step shy of that is we just make it as easy as possible. You know, one manager said, I'll like just talk to people on a one-on-one basis and whoever wants, we'll try to refresh, we'll try to get them appointments. But it just seemed very clunky and uneven and not necessarily going to help the person in the dish room or the prep room who may not interact with that manager today, who may work a you know shorter shift. We just tried to think about how to get as even an outcome as possible. And so I was reading uh, about Israel's rollout of the vaccine and noted that part of their success was that they took vaccines to the job site. So he got the idea of bringing vaccine doses to Butcher and Bee in the hopes of making it as convenient as possible for his staff to get their shots. I just thought, you know, if we could get somebody to show up with 50 vaccines, we'll close all the restaurants, we'll have all the staff get vaccinated on the same day. Then he hit some snags with that plan, too. We had a lot of situations like that for about a week where we were dealing with really well-intentioned people with big hearts who either didn't have the access to vaccine supply or they had the supply, but they were already stretched thin providing it to all the other myriad-worthy people who were coming to them for it. It got to the point where he thought that the next installment in this weekly series was going to include the fact that Butcher and Bee owner Michael Shemtov had thrown in the towel on the idea. Mark the date, but I give up, you know? But then at her own vaccine appointment, Michael Shemtov's wife mentioned what they were trying to do to Dr. Esty Perlmutter of Liberty Doctors. From there, it started falling into place. It wouldn't be a small event for Butcher and Bee employees as he'd originally envisioned, but it would be advertised more broadly to hospitality workers in the area. And they wouldn't have dozens of shots to administer. They'd have hundreds. Having a supply of 430 is exhilarating, but having to think about how that gets distributed equitably was also interesting and and challenging and sort of forced me to really think about, you know, access. I really tried to get outside of my bubble of restaurants and first start with BIPOC businesses and uh, people that I hadn't talked to before, don't talk to regularly. On March 30th, the many hours that went into organizing the clinic paid off. More than 400 food and beverage workers in the Charleston area got their shots. It was so well run that it felt 
any one specific moment felt anticlimactic. You know, I had like my restaurant tour hat. I was telling people, thank you for coming today. Thank you for coming. You know, I'd ask people how they heard about it. There was one comment that just made me happy. It was a woman that told me, yeah, you know, our whole kitchen team is here. She said somebody like our manager two nights ago texted this out and he said, sign up for this. It's legit. This one's legit. And I thought, you know, that's awesome that, that they would vouch for this felt good. Even though more and more people are getting vaccinated against COVID-19, a lot of Americans are still hesitant about dining out, including people who have gotten their shots. Nationally, we're seeing that people still have some hesitancy about dining out, even those who are vaccinated. In fact, many of those who were the first to get vaccinated um, were the most cautious to begin with, and they're maintaining those habits. So when you look overall, they nationalize numbers from Data Essential, which is a great research firm in this field, saying 51% of Americans still say they avoid eating out. And when you break it down by those who are vaccinated and those who are not, it's a bigger percentage of those who are vaccinated who say they avoid eating out. It's, it really is a habit they've developed. And this is something that's come up again and again in talking with John at Harold's Cabin and his reluctance to reopen is feeling that people really develop that muscle memory of I eat at home. The situation in Charleston, though, is different. Here in Charleston, people are eating out like crazy. As I said, we're setting records and it's not just tourists. The locals are so excited. I mean, what makes Charleston such an important food town um, for our, the whole country is that people love eating out. I mean, it really is the part, part of the culture here. So people are, are, are back out in huge numbers, huge numbers. Especially after the year they've just had, restaurants are thankful for the surge in business. But that rapid increase in demand and this particular period of the pandemic where some people are vaccinated but most are still not are raising their own serious issues for the industry. Vaccinations also raise a lot of questions for restaurants. You have no idea how many people that are your customers are immunized and the restaurants may want their entire staffs to be vaccinated. But making vaccination a condition of employment is a contentious issue right now. What are the restaurant operators that you talked with saying about that? And has there been any resistance from staff on getting vaccinated? Yeah, it's really interesting. Just as we started this conversation, I literally got a text from a restaurant owner saying, what do you think about forcing your staff to get vaccinated? There are reasons why um, owners want their staff to be vaccinated. Most importantly, they want to look out for their health. Financially, when you lose somebody to quarantine for two weeks, I mean, even if they're asymptomatic and healthy, that really disrupts your operation. So vaccination is incredibly important to owners, but a lot of owners are finding that the restaurant workers aren't really keen to do it. And what I have heard, and this is purely anecdotal, I have not seen any studies regarding what restaurant workers are thinking. Um, but when I've spoken to workers leading at the vaccination clinic that Shemtov operated, a lot of them just say, I'm young, I'm healthy, which in many cases, they're, you know, they're, they are younger. There is the the misconception among some food and beverage workers that if they get vaccinated, it means their grandma can't. They heard in the early stages that vaccines weren't as available as people in the first groups had hoped they would be, that appointments were hard to come by. And so they feel like they're, they're like, why don't waste it on me? You know, someone else might need it. 
as I said, it's really important to owners. But the story, really the only story in, in local food and beverage right now is the staffing crisis. Seeing a hospitality labor shortage in Charleston isn't new. This was an issue before the pandemic. And now, after having to lay off a huge chunk of the hospitality labor force last year due to COVID, restaurants that are trying to staff up again now that their customers are back in full force are having a really hard time doing that. Nobody felt like they had enough employees. Nobody felt like they had the right set of employees. It was it was interesting. In the last few years, there had long been sort of this like gentleman's agreement amongst restaurants that, you know, you don't come and recruit my staff. I won't recruit yours. And that was starting to crumble in the last kind of years or so before the pandemic. There was already real emphasis on staffing up. So so the culture was changing a little bit. People already felt like it was tough to get anyone for a job. Now it is, I mean, it, it, to me, it's shocking. And I, I, I think people who haven't realized it yet are going to realize it in the next few weeks. And we're talking about, again, because it's who I speak to the most, to return to Butcher and Bee, you know, at the Daily, which is their sister restaurant, they've gotten rid of their menu, which is really crazy. Um, they've stopped serving everything except for avocado toast and burrito, uh, which I think is what we're all in for here in the next couple months. Like I, what happened, there is just this tremendous um, it, tension, honestly, between guests and employees right now because we are so, everyone is so short staffed. And diners are coming back expecting restaurants to be just as they were when they left them. And so, you know, everything was put in a deep freeze and then it just comes back. In these places, you're going to have to do the work of two or three people because there aren't enough people there. The guests are incredibly aggravated. They're in terrible moods. I have never gotten so many emails that, of readers telling me proudly, oh, I, I, I stiffed my server because, like, I never saw her. It's really really bad. It is the worst I've ever seen. I mean, we're talking about restaurants which have received national acclaim. They told me they went into one of these restaurants on a Friday night and every table was on bus, which is like you would you would you should never see that in a high-end restaurant, right? I mean, it is just chaos. Butcher and B, like so many local restaurants, is hiring. And unless they and other restaurants start getting way more applications, diners are going to see changes. We are going to need people to, to reset their expectations for what restaurants can deliver if we don't have some surge in applicants soon. We just can't do it. So we either, you know, are going to need to take a 100-person dining room and only seat 40 people and run a wait, even though you can see that there's a whole dining room that's open. Or we're going to need people to understand that it's going to take longer to uh, get their food. Some restaurants are increasing wages, but still not seeing many applications. And they're not just competing with other restaurants. They're competing with other employers in other industries. While restaurants remained closed or had limited operations in the last year, some of those people who had been laid off found other jobs in different sectors and they might not be coming back. They're not able to recruit with money. What they're paying, you know, paying 20 bucks for a line cook is unheard of, and they still can't find people to work. People find other things to do. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, people were talking about 
you know, how many restaurants are we going to see close permanently? And we did not see that many restaurants close, right? Especially when you look to other recent years without pandemics. And then also, I feel like it's been, I mean, just almost shocking to see how many openings are happening. I mean, and nobody anticipated that. If you remember when the restaurants were first closed across the country, it was seen as a conservative estimate that we would lose 80% of them. I mean, it was, it was just understood they were all going to go away. And of course, what nobody forecast was the government intervention. And that's what made all the difference. I mean, honestly, hot take, more of these restaurants should have gone out of business. I think we propped up, I think the government propped up far too many of them. This is why we're having a staffing crisis. More of these places needed to go under, quite honestly. They didn't. All for the PPP, I think, you know, I think it did great for some people who really, really needed it. Obviously, there were problems in its administration, but ultimately, I think too many restaurants were saved. Do you think this staffing shortage could be the thing that actually closes some restaurants? Yeah, I do. I think I don't I think it's too early to say we're not going to lose restaurants. I think you're exactly right. Emily. I think this is going to be the thing. I mean, we've already seen them cutting back on hours and days. And I mean, you know, being open three days a week, it's not too much of a jump to be open no days a week. So, yes, I think we're going to see this in the coming months. You've mentioned some of the diner sentiment, some of the things that you have heard from diners after they've had not so satisfactory experiences at restaurants. For any diners who may be listening, just having the insight of speaking with employees, people in the industry, owners, what do you think those diners should know and consider when they are sitting down for a meal out in Charleston? To be patient, to be really patient. I mean, and I know everyone did a great job in Charleston about supporting their restaurants during, you know, last year they were ordering takeout, they were leaving big tips and all of that's great. But if you really want to support these restaurants, you need to be a good customer, which again means don't expect the service you received before the pandemic. Know that they're trying their best. Know that they recognize as much as you do that this is a really bad situation, but they also appreciate that people want to get back to normal and they want to come back out. So they're they're trying. That's the most important thing to know. These folks are trying. All right, listeners, that's all for today. Do you have any questions about today's show or ideas for what we should cover in a future episode? Write to us at understandsc at postingcourier.com or tweet us at understandsc. Be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Are you looking for something else to listen to? Check out the 12 Black Leaders to Know in South Carolina podcast hosted by reporter Adam Parker. We will include a link in today's show notes. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postingcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.